MSW Media. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. This is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Dan Dunn. Uh, coming up in a little bit, Steven Soderbergh returns. That's right legendary filmmaker Steven Soderbergh back here on this very show along with his good pal Nicholas Grenier. Nicholas's family owns Casa Real down in Bolivia. It is the distillery where Steven's uh, spirit, Singani 63, is produced. And we're going to be talking to both of them about Singani and life, the universe, and everything. But first, wow, this is exciting. For the second time in three weeks... We are graced with the presence of our East, official East Coast, or excuse me, Brooklyn correspondent, Scott Alexander. He's with us. Scott, how are you? I'm good. It's a two-fecta. This is what I like to call when you come you on twice. You were just here in Los Angeles, and we did it in studio. That's right. Now you are back where you belong in Brooklyn, being the Brooklyn oh, yeah, correspondent. out there? Yeah, is no. that what you're saying? Yeah, no, you're back where you belong. Um now, okay. now, everybody knows Scott as the official Brooklyn correspondent on the show, but what they don't know is that Scott serves another purpose for me, which is in my personal life, Scott is the person who talks me down off the ledge. Oftentimes, uh, I I get excited or upset about things and things, and I have to call Scott and say, help me, which I did this very morning. So anybody's been listening. I'm Dan Dunn's, I'm Dan Dunn's pastor. That's right. That's what you are. And and so this very morning, I I I, I hit Scott up and I said, "Hey, I need uh, I need some help." And why I do? Well, let's rewind a little. Anybody who's been listening to the last couple episodes of the show know that I've been talking openly about the problems my dog Buna has been having. And by problems, I mean nearly dying. Uh, she was yeah. she's twelve years old. She's been having a lot of health issues. Now the good thing, or the promising thing, is. Got Buna to a different doctor this week, an internal medicine specialist who has done some voodoo on her, and she seems to be on the road to recovery. Hallelujah, Scott. Yeah, when you when you called me though, I was positive it was about Buna. I was like, okay, here we go. And then no, like Buna's Buna's doing great, but but it's not that. So one of the things I kind of steadfastly avoid, not only on this podcast, but in my social life, my social media life is I don't generally share my personal trials and tribulations, which maybe I should, because maybe I've noticed the ratings in the podcast are going up the last couple weeks. I've been talking about Buna. So I've personally been dealing with another issue myself which is for the past three months i've had i had a torn retina in my eye and i've been back and forth to the eye surgeon i've had a couple of laser surgeries done trying to get my eye maybe not even back but just to the point where i don't lose the sight in my left eye and it's been going well my doctors have been doing a great job but i've had a setback a couple of weeks ago and then it started to get better. And then this morning, another setback. And I will tell you what happens. My eye is blurry and then it starts to get better. And when they repaired my eye, they went in and they took a laser to zap the tears and basically create a scar where the tears are to keep my oh, retina nice. from detaching. That's the the bad thing is if the retina detaches, that's going to be a major fucking thing that could really cause me to go blind in that eye. So a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, all of a sudden my eye just started getting very, very blurry. And I thought my retina was detaching and, and I went back in emergency to the ophthalmologist, to my eye surgeon. And it turns out it wasn't detaching, but that the fix that they did, some blood was coming out and the blood comes out and it mixes with the fluid in my eye, mm, and it makes it delicious. so I can't see. 
So that happened again this morning. <laughs> and it's well, last time it happened after you were golfing. This time it happened before you were golfing. I was and on my I way. Think, yeah, yeah. I think your your eye was like, you know, Dan. I'm not sure I like the way you swing that club. Uh, maybe I'm just going to give you a little nudge before you go to tell you it's not your game. Let uh, let the tiger take it. The golf gods are trying to tell me something, is what you're saying. Now, listen. I don't want this to be a scenario where I'm coming on the air here and just talking to you guys and, and whining. Welcome to the Poor Dan Show with Dan the Poor Dunn. Dan Show. It, this is why we're drinking with Dan Dunn, as opposed to right. what we're there drinking. We so why why we're drinking, I'm being driven to drink, I feel like, even though I... Uh, the, the funny part of this is I've been drinking so much less because obviously I understand that the last thing my body needs right now trying to heal itself is to also try to heal hangovers. Okay. So, but one of the things I talked about with Scott today, this morning, before we came on the air, and I want to talk about it again, is this feeling of like, why is this all happening now? Why is my dog's life being threatened? Why is my eyesight being threatened? There's some other things happening career wise that aren't great. And it's like, why is this all happening now? Oh, it's pretty simple. You're being singled out. For poor treatment from the universe. God hates me. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> God hates you because because you're, you know, you did something bad, probably like when you were a kid. That's it. But it's yeah. true. But it's but this is the thing is you do and anyone that's going through like stuff. That, we that all Jack Handy, uh a Jack Handy thing where where a child once said to me, uh, Daddy, why why is it raining? I said, Well, because God is crying. And they said, Why is God crying? I said, probably because of something you did. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. Well, why, why are these bad things happening? Yeah, it's, it's probably you. Well, you you said something this morning when we talked that put it in perspective. You said, as bad as I'm feeling, and as much as I feel like some God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, has it out for me of late. Probably everybody that I walk by on the street or pet is dealing with something too that's feels the same way. And so it's this idea that, and, and, and the other thing is they're dealing with something. It's totally different from the thing you're dealing with. And it also came completely out of the blue, jumped out of the shadows and just kicked them in the teeth for no reason. So you're saying then basically it's random that these things are happening. Well, some things are random. Some things are not like if you go out and, and say free, uh, kicking people in the teeth lessons, you know, people kicking in the teeth, then, you know, that's on you. That's my fault. <laughs> but but if, I have brought that into existence. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Someone shoves you down, kicks you in the teeth. That's a, that's not on you, you know? So yeah, like that's, that's the tricky thing. We are constantly looking for cause and effect, right? We're humans. This is what's brought us to this amazing technological age. We've learned that sometimes our actions cause other things to happen. Wow. That's so cool. And we started out being like cause and effect. If I do this, funny dance over the seeds before I plant them, you know, and I plant them and then they grew really high. And then we always do the dance over the seeds. But like we found out later, scientific method taught us, oh, okay, a little bit more about how to peel back what is real cause and effect and what we're just making up in our mind. But we have, we have a real tendency to make up cause and effect in our mind, which has been a huge evolutionary advantage for us, you know, to understand cause and effect most of the lower animals don't understand cause and effect that well. Some do, but like most don't, it's allowed us to survive. It's allowed us to thrive, but it makes us make up weird stories about why bad things happen. Well, I thought that this was a very old story finally coming, coming home to roost because I was raised Catholic, as you know, and you know, I remember when I was young, the, uh, I got caught once, you know, whacking the noodle and I got uh -oh. told what all good Catholic boys get told. If you don't stop doing that, you'll go blind. And so I thought what's happening to me now is it's finally caught up to me. Because I, 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 I was always curious, like, where the line was with that. Like, I, mean, I guess the blind thing. But also, like, the really, it's like, you're going to go to hell, right? At some point, like, you're, there's going to be a really bad consequence in the afterlife. And I was always wondering, like, you caught me one time. Maybe I, I did it a bunch of times before that. But you caught me. If I stop now, if my... To my 50, 70, 200, you know, masturbations, is that going to like ding me? How bad does that ding me for hell? And and also, how much more can I go and still not go to hell? If there's a number, a dividing line between hell and not hell, I'm <laughs> positive I've crossed it. 
long, 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 long time ago. But I, yeah, I was like, maybe I'm going blind because I've jerked off so much over the last 40 years. Oh, behave. The search for meaning or the search for a reason is yeah. kind of futile in this case, right? I don't, there is no real, I didn't do anything to cause this. I didn't do anything to cause That's the right. dog, but why can't I shake the feeling that I, that I have? If you were having the same thing happen to you over and over again, you know, maybe you go looking for a cause for it and, and maybe there's some something else you're also doing that's making that thing happen. But in terms of like your dog getting sick and your eye getting sick, I'm not sure there's a, such a big uh, correlation there. But it's really easy to draw one and say like my whole life is full. And this is where like it becomes easy to think about things like astrology and nothing against I'm pro everybody believing whatever makes them feel happy, you know, but like something like astrology tells you, oh, this is a bad week for you. Stuff will happen that's that's going to be really rough for like four or five days here, you know, and and that's helpful to people. So, you know, it's nice to just be able to stick it in a box and put it on a shelf and, and say, like, it's explained, even if you still have to deal with like the bad eye or the, or the sick dog. But like, you know, it's sometimes it's nice to have an explanation. Our brains calm down when we get explanations. And unfortunately, sometimes they're hard to come by. Well, it's times like this, Scott, that I do understand you know, I, as I said, I was raised Catholic. I'm, I'm no longer practicing Catholic or, or religious in, in any way, but it's times like this that I, I do understand it because when you're really dealing with it, when you're really feeling as though the world's got it out for you, I can see where people turn to this mysterious man in the sky or where they turn to this other sure. thing because Nothing else is making me feel better. I feel like I'm leading a good life and I'm and I'm being a righteous person and I'm doing so why is this happening to me? And then what becomes sort of the thought that I can't shake is it's happening because I've done something to make it happen. Right. And I therefore need to atone for that. Yeah, and that, and that I'm not sure I'm not sure that's even useful. It's it's useful if you can like unmake it happen. So if you keep, you know, getting your toes stuck in a mousetrap and you realize if I stop leaving mousetraps all over my house, I will stop getting my toes in the mousetrap. That that's a thing you can do where you you can tie them together logically. But if there's if there's not something, you can't go back in time or or go forward in time or take any action that's going to suddenly make you not have this eye problem, right? So I mean, and in all of the wisdom traditions, you know, you look at Christianity, you look at Judaism, you look at Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Islam, all of it. At the at the core of it, there are manuals for managing these kinds of things. Like, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, like someone slaps you in the face, it's already it already happened. Like slapping them back is not gonna help. You know, it's not gonna improve the situation. Turn the, the other Buddha, cheek, you're saying. Life is what the central teaching of Buddhism is life is suffering. Right? So that's like, oh, okay. So we're starting there. Yeah, we're starting there. That's the, that's the big problem. Life is suffering. And so then can you find some kind of happiness or peace, you know, within the framework of life being suffering? Yeah, <laughs> it's a good point because I will tell you this, like when I, this morning, as I said, I, let me recount the morning I got up and for the first time in six weeks, I took my dog on a walk all the way around the block because that's she's been the, wow. the issue she's been having has been related to her hind legs and she can't walk really well. But this treatment we've been doing this week has really been effective. And I was able this morning to take her around the block and I was so happy. And it's a beautiful day right. out here. Yeah. And I'm like, Lightning wow. Bolts, you know, your fingers. Yeah. Amazing. I'm just like, God damn, finally. And then I was going to go, I was going to meet a friend. We're going to play nine holes. I have not played golf. I'm a pretty avid golfer, but I haven't played in nearly a month and a half because of my eye and because of the dog. So today's the day I'm going to get back out there, going to play nine holes at Penmar Golf Course. Any, by the way, everybody out there listening, Penmar Golf Course in Venice, famous for one thing. You might have heard of it. It's where Harrison Ford landed his plane when he took off from the <laughs> from the Santa Monica Airport and his plane unscheduled engine, landing unscheduled landing on the on the seventh fairway at Penmar. But uh, I was going to get out there and then all that of is the, the most Indiana Jones thing I can think of. Oh, one hundred percent, it's great. Uh, so all of a sudden, the blur this blob appears in my eye, and I realize very quickly that it, my eye is bleeding. And then within about twenty minutes, I can't see anything. I still went to the golf course and met up with my oh, friend. That's good. 
and he was there. And then as soon as he sees me, he's like, what's going on? I said, I, I can't play. And I almost started crying at the golf course. Cause I'm like feeling sorry for myself. And that's the other yeah. part, Scott is what you talked about is everybody's going through it. So when I got back here, I laid on the couch and I fully expected to just start bawling my eyes out, being like shaking my fists and being like, fuck right. you. But I started laughing actually when I was yeah. laying on the couch. Cause I went, all right, man, this is it. This okay. We're going to do this again. Yeah. It's a better response because you're right. Like everyone's going through it. And we're, but the, the cool thing is we're all going through it at different times. Like you've known me for a long time. You've seen me get kicked in the teeth bad, like about three or four real, real bad ones, right? I'm not going to talk about what, what they were, but they were rough, right? But they all happen at different times from you. I got a friend who's in the hospital right now. I was with him last night in the hospital for five hours playing backgammon with him. Freak accident, you know, and he's had this cascading avalanche of shit for a week and he's hooked up to tubes and has all this shit in him. And I'm like, well, this is, this is his life kicking him in the teeth, but I have every certainty that sometime in the next five years, life is going to kick me in the teeth and hopefully he'll still be around to, uh, you know, come visit me in the hospital. So, you know, we're all walking each other home at some point. I'm going to admit something. And maybe this is why bad stuff's happening to me. I'm going to admit this on the air. Back when you were going through it, when you were having a really rough time, there was a lot of things happening in your life and not many of them were good. There were days where maybe I didn't feel great and I would call you because I wanted you to talk about how shitty your life was because it made me feel better about my life. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Okay. Let me yeah. call Scott. That is, that is why your eyes bleeding, motherfucker. <laughs> 10 minutes listen to this so, sorry motherfucker talk about his life and I'll be feeling great again. So so thank you Scott. I'd be like I don't know if you realize when I you thought that I was there to be a good friend but when I was probing you about what's going on it was merely yeah. to make myself feel better about it's, my life. It's a public service. My my pain is a public service uh <laughs> to everyone else. And but you know, yeah, honestly, you look you look around the world there's no shortage of suffering happening, right? Yeah. So we all go through it and, and it's like you're it's going to hurt whether you're calm about it or not. And if you're if if it's got you super upset, that's sort of additional pain that you're causing yourself that that is optional. Like so, you know, pain's always going to hurt, but like pain and then being upset about the pain. That part you don't need. It sounds like a song. I should write that down. <laughs> pain's always going to hurt. We'll auto-tune it. We'll just take this audio and auto-tune it. And... So I guess the point is, is there a point? Is that... Wait, R.E.M. already wrote that song, I think. Every, every Pain. Everybody. Pain is for everyone. I think that's what... That was a really catchy one they did. Yeah. All right. I will say that this will be the point of I want to make. Is this. You know when somebody commits suicide and you, you read it in the... Mm. You read about it. And they always put, if it's an article about someone who's killed, there's always that disclaimer put in there. If you or anybody, you know, and I'm not yeah. saying that I'm anywhere close to suicide, nor have I been. But what I'm saying is when I felt bad today, I have a hard time, you know, reaching out to people. So I guess the point would be this. I felt so much better after I reached out to you this morning before we were on the air about what was going on, just talking to you. Yeah that I actually wanted to get it on the air and say, let's, let's do it again. Let's talk. Right. So the point I would say to anybody out there is if you're feeling like shit and, and you're feeling like, Oh, woe is me. And, but you don't want to bother somebody with what, you know, cause that's what I always feel. I don't want to bother them with what I'm feeling. Right. Fucking bother them because you know, what? this is why you have friends. Yes. This is what they're, what they're there for. Yeah. And if you can't find anyone to talk to nine, eight, eight is that number just in case. You really can't find anyone else to talk to. Absolutely. Call them, man. There's someone there to talk to you about it. Because the biggest thing is realizing I could feel the weight lifting off you when I, I said that to you. Like everyone you passed on the street today had that same – has had something in the last six months bad, very bad happen to them. And I could see it just – it shifted because it's like once we understand we're, we are all in this together. And that feeling of like you're not alone in your suffering, that's very powerful. You have to make a choice, and and one choice is let me pick up the phone and call a friend, and have them talk me off the ledge. Whether you got your own, you got to get your own Scott Alexander. Everybody out there, <laughs> everybody needs a Scott Alexander. You can call to talk you off the ledge. And then the other one is to make that choice to go. 
I can wallow in this shit or I can laugh at it. There you go. This morning, I didn't feel much like laughing about it, but now I kind of do. It's very funny that I can't see. I've been laughing about it all. That I can't see out of my left eye and that my dog's (laughs) on one leg and we're limping her. So I got me and her. We're going. (laughs) I mean, it is funny that we're put here on earth with these like amazing minds and these amazing bodies. And we're just like, our whole job is to like watch them fall apart and eventually like stop working. Yeah. That's That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. And you know what else, man? At the end of the day, uh, and meaning the or the end of this show, I will be talking to Steven Soderbergh. So, you know, this is a guy that's made a lot of people happy with a lot of great movies. And I'm very fortunate that I got to talk to him and, and, and get to drink his spirit. And so, you know, everything's not lost. All is not lost. Scott. Just, uh, just being here, getting a chance to get kicked in the teeth is sort of, uh, that's so everything else is great. Yeah. So when do you open your practice, Scott Alexander? <laughs> Cause I feel like this should be people out there listening Scott's not on social media, so you can't even find him. But uh, get your own Scott sure, Alexander. Right? He's mine. Uh, Scott, love you, man. Always great talking to you. You've uh, yeah, man. You've solved another situation for me. Uh, bad one. That's why we're here. We will be back right after this break with Steven Soderbergh. I had some people over recently, and the homemade drinks were a flowing. All my guests were like, "Dude, these are the best friggin' cocktails I've ever had. You're an amazing mixologist." And I was like, "Damn straight, I am." What my guest didn't know was I was cheating a little bit. All right, maybe more than a little bit. Of course, I used top shelf booze in the drinks. You got to do that. But I wasn't juicing the limes or pureeing the prickly pears or grinding up the jalapenos that made my cocktails so fabulous. All I did was order up Fresh Victor. Fresh Victor is a line of all natural, clean label cocktail mixers. It brings the magic of master mixologists into your home. They're the best mixers available on the market, hands down. All the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificial anything. The mixers are produced at a 100% solar powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. And right now, Fresh Victor is offering a pretty juicy deal to my listeners. Simply go to freshvictor.com, fill up your shopping cart with a bunch of great mixers, and at checkout, enter promo code FVDAN20. That's F as in fresh, V as in Victor, Dan 20. Get 20% off your order. Now is the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market. And that's Fresh Victor. Joining me now, two gentlemen who are responsible for one of my uh, favorite spirits brands. Really is. Uh, Singani 63. One of these men founded the brand. The other one makes it. Family distillery. Very pleased to have back on the show my old pal, Steven Soderbergh, and my new pal, Nicholas Grenier. How are you, gents? Good. Good, Dan. Pleasure to be here. Still doing Zoom. I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah. They don't want me out of the house, really. So, Steven, uh, you have worked tirelessly, and we have talked about this. You've been on the show numerous times. You worked for eight years. Eight years years to get Singani, which is the brand is Singani 63, but the spirit is Singani. And Stephen had to muscle the TTB here in these United States to finally get them to stop calling Singani, categorizing Singani as brandy. And earlier this year, they came through and Singani is now officially recognized as its own category here in the States. So congratulations, man. Thank you. Well, you've been, yes, we've talked a lot and you've been very supportive and we've talked about, you know, the petition to get our own category. We've talked about what a process it is to deal with four different government agencies, but I've always felt it was really critical to the story of the brand for it to ultimately be called by its own name. And so I, I think it was, I think it was a really kind of watershed moment uh, for us as a brand, but also just philosophically for Nicholas and his whole family to to have Singani recognized as a category and for them to be called by their proper name. It really meant a lot to us on an emotional level, not just a, a sort of business level. Well, Nicholas, what, you know, going along with what Stephen just said there, I mean, that had to 
really chap your ass when they're when you come up here to the states and they're calling it they're categorizing it as brandy which exactly. is not brandy you know nobody in, nobody down in bolivia is calling it brandy right exactly exactly i mean just you you can imagine how important it and it is for for the category for the country i think in a way it um leg- legitimizes uh 500 a spirit, history, uh, a culture, uh, a hundred years of family, a lifetime work that my family has has been doing in the product, and ten years of of war, hard work that the Singari Sixty Three has been doing. So it legitimized all that in in in, in the recognition. Stephen, it's funny you've said this before. You've said it on this show that. Going through what you had to go through, dealing with the government and try, may have been harder than any movie you've ever made. <laughs> That's, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you, you have absolutely no control. You control nothing. Um, you sort of keep sending these volleys off into a void. And um, it, it was, I was warned by. Steve Lutman of LeBlanc Kashasha, who I reached out to when we started this process because they were the last people to get a category. And I wanted to essentially steal his roadmap to how to do it. And he said, look, it obviously can be done, uh, but it took it took Steve 10 years. So the fact that it only took us eight, I guess we should view as as a double victory but at the same time, you know, it's I, I don't want to trash the government. They're, they're, they've got a lot of people coming at them. And at the end of the day, they did the right thing. I mean, by their own criteria from the past of what's gotten a category, we should have this category. And that was the argument ultimately. So, you know, I, I, I knew we were in for the long haul. And and in in classic in classic government fashion, we didn't know it was coming. We we would reach out to them and say, "Hey, how's it going?" And they would say, "Well, there there don't seem to be any obstacles. Could be this spring. Could be this fall. Could you know?" It just kept being pushed down. And then on January thirteenth of this year, at eight o'clock in the morning, my phone started blowing up from texts with the Singani team saying they just posted it. And so we didn't, we didn't really have time to prepare for the news. Um, but in a way that was a kind of perfect, uh, it was the perfect way for this story to conclude, which is it came totally out of the blue and by surprise. And I can attest to that because you and I had lunch. I think it was the week before. It was it. I yeah. was in New York in very yeah. early January. I did a a show there at the stand, and you and I had lunch, and you had no idea when it no. was coming. And I think it was a week later that it happened. And and um, in, it, you said in true government fashion. I also wonder. It seemed to be a little bit of transactional thing going on there with the government. Sort of you scratch my back, Bolivia, and we'll scratch yours. Is it true that they they made one of the conditions of this is Bolivia? officially recognized the bourbon and Tennessee whiskey as distinctive products of the United States as part of the deal with Singani. Yeah, that's correct. That's exactly what Steve Lutman did with LeBlanc. Uh, they, had, they had almost exactly the same reciprocal recognition, which, you know, is fair. I mean, when, when, when I had the first meeting with uh, the TTB and ATF and FDA and Treasury in November of 2014, there were 17 people on the other side of the table. Um, they took great pains to explain that this process was not political. The people that got me into that meeting on my side, as soon as we left the room, said, okay, I just got to tell you, this is very political. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, I, I was prepared for that. But I think that's fair. I mean, they've got, they've got uh, Nicholas, you can speak to this. I mean, there's a real problem with counterfeiting uh, in a lot of countries outside the U.S. where people are knocking off Jack Daniels and selling it, and it's not Jack Daniels. So this enables them on a, on a to, this gives them legal footing to go after 
counterfeiters, which I think everybody benefits from that. What does it mean to you, Nicholas, and to the family, to the family distillery? Uh, we're talking about Casa Real is the name of your distillery. It's been around your family business since 1976, but the family's got a hundred years of experience in the in the distillation business. What did what did this mean to you? Did it change anything in terms of besides just the the pride? But I mean, in terms of the business side of things, what does it what does it mean? Significantly, I mean, uh, there was a Bolivia is a is a poor country at the moment, and we don't have that many uh, products that uh, that that stand uh, in in global shelves. I mean, and are exported or presence with global presence, and so having having a recognition. I mean. In a way, for Jack Daniels, for Brown Former, I think that this was the 16th country that recognized uh, Tennessee whiskey as a category for ourselves. It was the first, and as you can tell, the United States is is, is probably the number one country every spirit one wants to be. So it was it was huge inside the country as um, as the repercussion or all the. the it was all over the news and and so on and and it, it as I say it in a way to legitimize it uh, our culture and and our brand because Singani is not about a company but a but a country. And Stephen famously you fell in love with the spirit when you were uh, introduced to it by your casting director on Shay. You actually were introduced to it in. Barcelona, right? Wasn't it? you? Told Madrid. Me? Yeah, you, Madrid. You were in Madrid and fell in love with it and then made it your mission to bring it to the world. All right, man, we're 10 years in, right? About? Yeah. Yeah. Ten, yeah. Being in, being in market 10 years. Yeah. So, I mean, man, there are a lot of celebrities in the business. I don't know many that work as hard as you do at, at doing it. So, honestly... 10 years in, has it been worth it? And I mean that. I, I, I obviously yeah. are not going to say no, but I mean, do no, you look, do well, you have any it's, regrets? No, it's a fair, no, it's a fair question. And the, the, the easy answer is if I'd known what it would take to get here beforehand, there's no way I would have done it. Like, there's just no way. If you'd said, it's going to require these kind of resources over this amount of time and this many hours of your day and your weeks and months to get to X level. I, I and my wife would have said, you know, that's too much. It's, it's just too big a commitment over too long a period of time. But the good news was that I didn't know enough to to really make that kind of 30,000 foot view call on on whether to do it. And to be honest, I've never operated that way in my day job. Like I've never I've always done whatever I was fired up about doing, whether or not other people thought I should do it. Or if people said, you know, there's a, there's a cliche in the entertainment business, never spend your own money on your own movies. I've done that a lot. And usually it's worked out. I mean, if we're talking, you know, horses, not races, that's worked out pretty well for me. So I, I'm, as I sit here right now, I'm really glad I've done it and I'm continuing to do it and really proud of what we've accomplished. But if you teleported me, you know, to this moment from 10 years ago, I, I would have, uh, I would have had to really go lay down. Like it's, it's, you know, but what do you think of anything that's that you can take anything that you are, that you get inspiration from, whether it's a spirit or a movie or a book, um, or a show and, it probably at some point you've got people who fall into the exact same category 
where if you told them at the beginning what it would take, they would probably not have done it. That's just not a way to go through life. It goes back to what you said earlier about when the TTB finally get designated so got it, it must have really been emotional then. This is the official recognition that you have all of these years of work and that you've done and that Nicholas and, and everybody's put into this product paid off. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it, in many ways, and I, I, you know, we have, we have a lot of other things we want to do, but part of me really felt that just having accomplished that, if nothing else happened, that's a lot. Because anybody who actually works in the industry knows how hard it is to accomplish getting your own category designation. It's just, it's just hard, and you've you've got to you've got to be really committed. And and so I was really uh, I was really gratified by it, and in a weird sort of way, counter to what I just said, the surprise of it kind of made it even sweeter. You know what I mean? Because it just completely came out of left field. And so not having time to prepare gave you the possibility of having a really pure emotional response of joy that if you'd been sort of, you know, ready for it, wouldn't have been the same. It's like not it like was, the Academy Award number. You know when they're coming down, right? So you know the next morning, if your phone hasn't rung or you haven't gotten a bunch of texts at six o'clock in the morning, you didn't get nominated. You know that, yeah. you're, and, and, and vice versa. You know you did. And even though you're excited, this thing, again, like I said, I was with you the week before this happened, and you didn't have any indication that, that, that it was coming anytime soon. I remember, I think you said something like, hopefully in the next six months we'll find yeah. out or something like that, and then boom, it happens. Um, Nicholas, I want to ask you, how do people in Bolivia, besides neat, how do they enjoy Singani? What kind of cocktail would we do? If you were introducing someone to this spirit, obviously we're going to taste it neat, but then what are you going to make them? Well, Singani is so culturally embedded in, in Bolivian's culture that um, you, you'll you see it, for example, in there actually uh, Singani bars um, that they are recognized as Singani bars in Bolivia, that they're called Singaneros. And basically, people will go there in the afternoon, uh, play cacho, which is a, die, a popular dice game, and order a bottle of Singani and drink in, um, in the afternoon. So, But uh, going back to the history in the 18th century, when there was a, a lot going on in our territory because of the silver boom at the moment, um, there was uh, English, English people uh, in charge of, of the construction of some railroads in Bolivia. And so as any other breed, they will go with uh, gin and tonic or gin and ginger ale. And as logistics were kind of complicated back in the day, they had to drink the local spirits. And so they mixed uh, ginger ale with uh, Singani. And they say that that was the short fly or the shortcut of to their gin. So locals... Bolivian locals started Bolivianizing the world to chew fly. So that's, right. that's what we know as the, the, the typical cocktail nowadays. C-H-U-F-L-A-Y. Am I got that right? Exactly. See? Chew fly. I know everything I know about Singani from talking to this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I mean, that's... honestly, you know, I'd never heard of it. And I've been doing this for, you know, I was the booze writer <laughs> yeah. for Playboy and Robert. I'd never heard of it before, Stephen, I, as I suspect, most people in America had never heard of it before, before this happened. Um, yeah. what are, are there any, can you do other expressions of Singa? Is there anything you, you would seek to do in terms of, I mean, it's a clear spirit, but is there something else you could do with it? Like any kind of barrel aging or something? Cause every brand now is coming out with different sort of bells and whistles, or is it just keeping it straight Singani 63? Exactly. I mean, we are running a lot of innovation at the distillery at the moment. Uh, we're, we're having fun with a lot of things, uh, playing with botanicals, uh, aging Singani in uh, sherry cask, 
in French cask and uh, it uh, we've we've got interesting results. Um, on the other hand, uh, we are not playing the solo cocktail here, just as Pisco, for example, the Pisco Sour. Um, going back to your prior question, I would totally recommend people try neat or on the rocks first uh, to to get the, the aromatic profile and then mix it with soda or, or ginger ale in a chew fly. Stephen, any thoughts on sort of where you want where you want to go with the brand? Well, look, I mean, we want to, I've always felt from the moment I knew to even use terms like this, that we had, we were sitting on a new base spirit, that this was like the eighth base spirit. And that, that, that is a huge foundation to build upon. And then its versatility was a surprise to us. This was something we only learned by working with mixologists. Um, it's funny, you know, there's been a lot of internal discussion between myself and Nicholas and Luis Pablo about these other expressions of Singani, uh, because I'm, uh, me being me and my exposure to it, like I've become, I've become the purist, you know, and, and so whenever anybody talks about, you know, playing with it in any sort of way, I start to, I start to sweat. Um, but it's clear that in, in a sort of commercial sense, um, there, there are people that are looking for variations on their favorite spirits. So it would be stupid not to explore that. Um, but for the time being, you know, we've, we, we still have a lot of work to do just getting consumers to wrap their minds around the original version of Singani. And so part of me just feels, and you go, this is me. I'm not Casa Real. I'm just me. Part of me is just like, hey, there's a limited number of fronts, you know, that we can really uh, fight. And and for now, um, I really want to stay focused on 63 and getting that to a place where people have heard of it. I mean, that's really, it's really about awareness. Uh, I've always felt in the same way when I was trying to come up in the film business, I always felt if you can get me in the room, if you can get me the meeting, I'll then that's on me. And I'll do what I've got to do to convince people to, to you know, back me. And I feel the same way about Singani in the sense that, like, if I can get this thing in their hands and across their lips, then we're going to win. But when you're talking about a spirit that literally nobody would ever heard of, um, that's, that's a big hurdle, you know, every, but at the same time, I'm really glad that I'm not out there with another vodka or another gin or another tequila. I'm it's harder to have to educate people on something new, but at least it's new. Talking about the film business and what you got to do the hustle. I've got friends in the business, you, other people, and I know when they're promoting stuff, I, I, it can tend to get a little bit tiresome when you're, when you're constantly doing the press junk as you're doing. Is the enthusiasm still, I know tonight you're doing an event here in LA yeah. and I know you do them all over. Is it still there for you? Do, are you still excited? Because, you know, you've been doing it a long time and every time I see you in an event, you seem to be very jazzed about, you know, introducing every, is that, doesn't get tired for you? No, no, for two reasons. One is it's not my story. So it's it's not I'm not like doing the circuit telling my greatest hit war stories about out of sight or magic mic or anything like that. Um and the second thing is it just never gets old to see somebody try it for the first time. So this afternoon we had an event where we invited it was around 20 uh, mixologists to an event over at Big Bar and um, on Hillhurst. And and the whole point, of the, there were some people there that had been working with it for a long time, but three quarters of the people there have not worked with it before. And, and we put this event together to talk to them about it. And, you know, two hours later, 
we had more friends than we had two hours before. And as you know, as, as well as anyone, this business is so personal. Like it is, it, you have to go out and do anything and meet anybody. Like you just can't succeed if you're not willing to do that. That's what Dan Aykroyd told me. And so I, it, it never gets tiresome for me because it's not my story. And I love looking at somebody's face when they taste it for the first time and they have the reaction that I did in 2007, which is like, wow, what is this? You're pitching, man. And, and, and it is a critical part of this business because, you know, consumers think about what they see on their shelves. But, but really, and especially with something like Singani, which is, you know, it's a small category. Very limited, especially here in the States. And you need to woo the delivery system. And who is that? It's the bartenders. Because nobody, let's be honest, how many people are going in? No one's walking into a bar and going, "Uh, hey, uh, let me just pull Singani. You know, you got to be on the menu. You got to be on the bar menu. You got to be on that cocktail list. And the only way to do that is to do what you're doing. And that's get out pound the pavement, meet the bartenders, hope that you make, obviously the spirit's got to be the first thing and that's going to make the impression. And then they got to like you because here's the way it works, right? We're all out. We're having a good, oh, great, man. Great, Steven. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, they leave and no, that doesn't work. You got to convince them. No, no, please, you know, like, please, almost like you're begging in a way, like put me on your list. You got to, whatever it takes, man, because it really kind of is one bar at a time. That's how it goes. Tito's Vodka didn't start on every shelf in America. You know, all these huge brands now started the same way a lot of them did, started the same way you did. And that's building relationships. Uh, Obviously, you have to have a great product and you have a great product. It's thanks to Nicholas and the family there. And uh, yeah, I don't even know. There's no question there. I'm just... No, but you're you're right because it's it's there are a couple of issues here. One, the most important is the product itself. The people that we're talking about are not going to stock anything as a favor to anyone. They they it's too the business is too competitive, and that's they can't stay in business doing that. But they also want to know: Are you going to be around? Like I I like this, but you know. If you're if you're not going to be here in a year, I'm not interested. Like I I want I want a a, a spirit or brand that's that's going to be here in the in the long term, um, and that's where the category you know us really you know keeping our nose to the grindstone and getting that category really I think contributes to that sense of Singani is not going anywhere. It's here. It's staying. Um, and then the other thing is to 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 speak to this sort of personal aspect of being a bartender mixologist. Um, somebody said to me, "I really like when I reach for a bottle if somebody if there's somebody's face that is behind it that I see when I grab that bottle. That I like that. That's what I want." you know, at work, I want there to be a sort of personal relationship with that bottle where I see the person. And that really stuck with me. That was something somebody said to me seven or eight years ago. And and that just sort of confirmed how you have to, you just got to get out there. Like there's just, you could, you could go to an event that you thought there were going to be 30 people and four show up. And you need to be aware one of those four people two years from now could be the key to you making a huge leap in the narrative of your brand. That person could be running the beverage program for a chain of hotels that they remember you and go, I want to bring Singani into this national chain of hotels and we're going to do, you know, a seminar. And I'm like, you just, you just don't know. Or that person could be a uh, Hollywood director that happens to come to your distillery one day, right? Nicholas, <laughs> changes everything, you know? Uh, well, listen, guys, congratulations on on uh, the uh, – t- I mean, I'm, I know I'm late to the party. It's been a few months, but um, 
congratulations on that, on the TTB and being recognized up here and, and what I'm sure is going to be continued success for Singani 63. That's S I N G A N I 63. Go check out that website. If you, if you haven't tried it, do it. Uh, Steven Soderberg, uh, we'll have to get you back on and talk about what you got going on movies. Even though you, you did tell me you were last time I talked to you, you said you were done making movies. You're going to write books. And then I saw like five announcements of movies you're making. So clearly changed your mind. Uh, it must've been getting that TTB thing. You're like, yeah, okay, now I, I don't I, have to was, do Yeah, I got a lot of time I was, on my hands. I was using you. I was using you as a test to see if that's a good career path. <laughs> and I, I didn't question it at all. I went, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. No, the only thing I was questioning is somebody who's written books myself is like, really, is that what you want to do? You sure yeah. you want to write books? Cause it's not as glamorous. Uh, and Nicholas, uh, Nicholas Grenier, really great to meet you, man. Uh, you know, Stephen talks so highly about you and your family and what, not only what it's meant to the, to the brand itself, but just what it's meant to him. And so I can see why having met you now myself, why he likes you so much. Thanks. Don. It's a, it's a, it's a pleasure being here. Uh, sharing stage with our partner Stephen. I mean, on behalf of of my family, I can I can tell you that behind scenes, his uh, uh, we we just became we were we used to be fans of his movies. Now we're bigger fans of himself as a person. Um, having someone with that genuine genuine interest and real interest in our product is just something that we can thank enough um we talked i told steven earlier uh there is a, a chapter in singani's history that has his name already we, we just hope that we still have some a lot of pages to be written yet so amen to that and i i, I believe you do I, I think this thing's got legs so uh Happy for you both. Great to see you. Always a pleasure. Thank you for your time, Mr. Um, oh, uh, Denham. Billy Tim Denham. Yes. Denham like a gene. Yes, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> just like the gene. <laughs> Man, you got some lovely hands here. Do you moisturize? I'm sorry? I tried all sorts of brand of lotion. I even went fragrant free for a whole year. Now, my sister, she uses um, uh, uh, aloe vera. With a little sunscreen in it, yes. Uh, and ideally speaking, we all should wear gloves to go to bed. But I found out that that would be a little interference in my social agenda, you know what I mean. Oh. <laughs> hey, all, a quick update. Scott and I recorded the, the beginning of the show on Friday, uh, this past weekend. And the next day, my eye went all screwy again. Hemorrhage, got some bleeding. Couldn't see a damn thing. Had to go to the emergency room. And I'm having eye surgery this week. Yay. There you go. But I'm staying positive. I'm trying to stay positive. So uh, I don't know if we're going to have a new show next week. Might be a a rerun or something because I'm, uh, it all depends on how this surgery goes. If I come out relatively intact, be back with a new show next week. There is no new show next week. You'll know I'm probably fucked. Good news is I got a lot of booze in the house, so I can drown my being fuckedness away. But I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, all right. I'm out.